right. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here as we wrap up our Jonah series. I pray it's been an encouragement to you um, to learn from Jonah's mistakes instead of our own. That's been our goal through this and to learn from this prodigal prophet, if you will, uh, what not to do um, so we can avoid the discipline, if necessary, for the child of God who does not listen to their father. I'll tell you what, this uh, whole series, we've been leveraging different dynamics and things that we can use as memorable language to take with us um, from this series. I pray you've been encouraged by that. And, and I have another one uh, today that has stemmed from uh, an evening. I was with my wife just talking and she was on her computer working a little remotely from, for her school. And uh, she said something after opening an email and it caught my attention. You ever hear somebody say something and you feel like it was just for you? Like, like it just came out and she wasn't saying it to me, but I heard it and went, oh, I, I think that was probably something the Lord wanted me to hear. She went, oh, oh, good. I needed that answer because I couldn't get my work done until I got that answer back. And she was waiting for an answer from one of the executive leaders and they get back very well to her communicate. But she used a phrase that caught my attention. She said, I can't get my work done until I hear that answer. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of boxes beneath my box, if you will, in the org chart at Renew. How many people are waiting on me to get back to them and can't get their job done until I give an answer. I was just processing it. And it was as if the Holy Spirit said, oh, I know one. Now, no audible voice or anything, but I definitely felt prompted that um, I am very late at getting back to communication from our business office sometimes about get your receipts to us, your business account. Could I get your credit card report? Could you do that on your business account? Could you get it to us? And I know that because sometimes I'll get a second email that says, just a friendly reminder, Pastor Chris, if you could get that to us. And, and you know, I, I, I bet they're thinking um, we don't wanna bother him. And I figure that within the month is good. But I just heard my wife say, oh, I can't get my job done until I know that. Have you ever had somebody say something that totally changed your perspective on a situation? Your whole point of view changed. You had a mindset that this is the way it was. This is the way it goes. I've got this all figured out. I know what's going on. I, I, I can tell you what this is. And then somebody goes, did you know that? And you go, oh, my word, I totally changes my perspective. It totally changed my perspective. And I thought the next time the business office asks me for my monthly report, I'm gonna answer back right away. And it came like two days later, I get this email. Pastor Chris, could you send your report? You should have seen me. It was amazing. I immediately opened the email. I, I got the whole report done. I sent it back. I'm thinking under five minutes. Boom. <laughs> sent it. I get back almost immediately, thank you, with multiple exclamation marks. Like, like, no way that just happened. I go into the business office the following week. I, I wasn't there that day, but I go in the following week and we have like four cubicles up there, got multiple uh, ladies of work up there, do great job, awesome, awesome. And um, I said, I have a confession to make. And I began to tell them the story. 
And I said, my wife said this and she goes, yes, they're waiting for you. And they feel bad because they know you're busy and we, they know you have people might take priority over that report, but they can't get their job done. Get that in, what's wrong with you? My wife told me this, ladies. And they're looking at me like, I love your wife. <laughs> and I'm like, and I apologize. Because the last decade, I've been doing this to some of you, right? right? And, and, and our most senior uh, financial person, I said, you're probably thinking, where was Becca 10 years ago? And she shook her head. Yes, I am thinking that. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you for the grace you've given me. But I have fresh eyes, but I'm still going to forget and mess up. So keep giving me grace. But now I'm going to try because I realize I'm not thinking right. I can go in a lot of the things that I am asked to do, I kind of can control that. But you are waiting for something so you can continue on. And with a fresh view of that situation, it makes me think about how they feel over myself. Can I ask you a question? Where are you being accidentally selfish? And you haven't asked yourself what you're not doing that's making mom do a lot more around the house or accidentally selfish that there's other people at your workplace that are picking up your slack because you're not. But then can I ask a second question? Where are you being purposely selfish? Where are you going, I want things this way? Because that second one's interesting. The second one, the first one, you go, oh my word, I'm sorry, I gotta stop doing that, all right? But where are you being stubborn and selfish and upset? What has you angry? This is what we wanna talk about today because how we view something can change with perspective but we often need our eyes checked. And therefore, they will call this one the eye exam dynamic. Have you ever gone to an eye exam? You know, you, 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 it really starts, young people, it really starts when you're in school and you can't see the blackboard. I mean, what am I saying? You're, what am I, 1980? You can't see the smart board, okay? All right, you can't, you can't see the smart board, all right? And so you're looking and, and you're like, I, I can't see this. And it's the first time you're like, oh no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably need glasses. And you go to the eye doctor. And when you're a kid, it's, it's very eye-opening, no pun intended, but you sit down and they, and they put this machine that is still seems from the 1980s, right? Over your eyes, it's this gigantic thing, it rests down on your nose and they, and they say, okay, look into there, right? And I was always afraid of that puff. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, the puff? Okay, it's just gonna be a puff. Oh, you know, right? Oh my word, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm bringing up drama. for any Trauma, not drama, but, but uh, as I'm, I'm in this thing and, and then you, they would start doing these things like, right? If you're, if you're listening on podcasts or something, I've got my hands going, and they say this, and, and you're all gonna know this, it's gonna resonate. Better one, better two, right? Better one, and anybody feel the stress of, I don't see a difference, but I should answer, right? I got it, uh, two, uh, I, got, oh, I don't know if that was right, you know, now my glasses are gonna be wrong, right? And you're going through all this, because you're going through this eye exam and you wanna get the right answers, but you're not sure, and two is better, I think two is better. Better one, better two. Eye exam, and they're checking you to see if you're nearsighted or farsighted, right? 
And some of us still don't know what that is, right? It seems backwards. I, I, if you're farsighted, you can see far, but objects close are blurry. If you're nearsighted, you can see close, but objects far away are blurry. Do you know sometimes scripture tells us spiritually we need eye exams? Because sometimes we're nearsighted. We can only see the things we see and only the things that impact us and only the way that things can make us scared or feel fearful. And God wants us to have farsightedness to be able to see beyond that. And he can tell sometimes when his kids' eyes are blurry and they're only seeing near. In fact, there's a text of scripture I like to leverage for the eye exam dynamic, and it's found in Philippians. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Philippi, I want you to look into life with some corrective glasses. And these glasses that I want you to put on, I want you to use in how you view other people. And this is gonna be counterintuitive to the world. The world says me, look at me, I am great, I need this, I am, this is who I am. It's me, 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 that's why we live in a selfie world. But the scripture says, could you put these glasses on? Let's look at the passage, it says this. Do nothing, how much? I looked it up in the Greek, it means nothing, okay? That's what it means. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You won't see this on a billboard, you won't see this. It continues. Let each of you, here it is, look not only to his interests, nearsightedness, but also the interests of others. I want you to go through each day, not looking just at your interests, it's okay to look at your interests, but also to the interests of others. I want you to think about where are the areas where you're making other people's lives harder or whether there are areas where you just don't even care what others think, say, or do. I want you to put these glasses on. Why? Other Christians don't. I go to church and they do this and they do that. Don't, don't follow that. I want you to follow Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in who? In Christ Jesus. You're not gonna necessarily see this from anybody else in your life at every time perfectly, but Jesus wants you to take a step in spiritual maturity. He's so glad that you're in the word of God. He is so pumped that you're walking in the truth. But when he asks you to take a step in maturity, he often says, I want you to change your view. I want you to begin to look at others and consider them even above yourself. It's completely counterintuitive. It's a brand new way of looking at life. But it's the life of the one who puts on the glasses, if you will, of a servant. And that is what God wants to teach his boy, Jonah, this week. I was at a conference and a subject was coming up with selfishness. And the, and, the, and the speaker said, you know what? You'll find out where you're selfish when you ask yourself this question. Well, what is what do you, or even who do you view 
as beneath you. Teenage girl, which girls are beneath you? Let's be honest. I mean, let's be honest. We're all here, right? right? I mean, clearly that girl is not you. Hey, guys, come on. That guy, he's not you, and you know it, right? Who's beneath you? Workforce. Men in the workforce. You know, what, what other company? They're, they're beneath. They're so beneath. Like, ladies, business, entrepreneurs, who's beneath you? Is there a people group? Is there an opinion? Um, things that are just beneath you to do? You often find out where you're most selfish when God kind of pokes at the things that annoy you, that bother you, that threaten your comfort, that make you serve or do something you don't want to do. And that's where he's going at with Jonah. God has told him to go to Nineveh. For he sees their evil and judgment needs to come. And Jonah, he runs. He's on the dock and he makes the choice to either do the easy wrong thing and flee to Tarshish or the hard right thing and go to Nineveh. Jonah chooses the easy wrong thing and runs from God. We find him hiding in a boat. And we see what happens in a Jonah boat. God comes to him with a wind. A storm rages. And we ask ourselves, would you rather be humbled? Or would you rather be humble, excuse me? Or would you rather be humiliated? Jonah chose humiliation. He's thrown overboard. We find him the following week, grounded, if you will, trapped inside of a large fish. And we ask ourselves, are we in our belly of purpose, trapped because of our consequences, or are we in a prison of purpose? We're in a trial, and God's gonna use this for his purposes. But in the meantime, we're not going anywhere until we learn our lesson. We advanced along and found Jonah going into Nineveh, carried by this large fish to the shore, walks in and gives a message, 40 days and Nineveh will be judged. The clock starts and the Ninevites repent. They put on sackcloth. They adhere the message and the king says, who knows, maybe God will relent. And today, in a message we'll call Jonah cited, He's not nearsighted or farsighted. He's Jonah-sighted. And he will get an eye exam from God. And God will offer him what nearsighted looks like and what farsighted looks like. And we are gonna watch our heavenly father teach his son a lesson about how he views the world and how Jonah does not currently view the world. As we start this message, as we conclude our series, would you pray with me? Because selfishness is a subject that will impact every single one of us. And therefore, there will be some conviction, but let's not let the devil win and shame or guilt us. 
Child of God, if the Holy Spirit resides, he wants to inspire you to go no more when we leave that door. And if you're here today investigating the things of God, he might want just show you how far he's willing to go for his kids. And you might just be interested in becoming a child of God. Heavenly Father, use your sacred text today to inspire us to live differently. Lord, so often we're caught up in our own schedule, our own timing, our own things, that anything that disrupts us annoys us. Any person who stands in our way drives us crazy. Any thing or view that opposes ours, we find abhorrent. Any groups that we don't agree with, we feel our enemy. And Lord, at times, we ask you to do things for us that if we're perfectly honest, might just even be selfish. And so, Lord, redune us in this area. May we learn from Jonah so we don't have to learn ourselves. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Here we go. I love this part. I don't love it because it's great. I love it because I can't believe it, okay? You're not even gonna believe this, okay? If you've never read this story, if all you got is veggie tales, you're not even gonna believe this last chapter, all right? Now, here, we, here we go, here we go. So Nineveh, when, they, when God saw what they did, they they threw sackcloth on everything. They repented and how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. Wait till you see this next verse. It's Jonah's reaction. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Some of you enjoy other translations. You could also translate this and it was evil to Jonah, and so it angered him, and he was exceedingly angry. You're gonna see phrases like exceedingly in this chapter today. Like whatever you think angry was, he was further than this. And I mean, are you like me going, what? Did you hear? In 2021, there was this huge revival in Percocy and everybody gave their lives to the Lord, like hundreds of thousands of people, and Pastor Chris was ticked. Oh, he threw stuff. Like we saw him in church, he was like throwing stuff. He was exceedingly, I've never seen him so angry when he saw all of Percocy repent. Puts it in perspective, doesn't it? You're like, wait, what? Jonah, what? He is hot about this. I wanna know more. I wanna know why. Well, good, we're gonna find out. And he's gonna pray. So let's, let's hear his prayer. I'm sure it'll be very godly. He's a Bible guy. Godly. Here we go. And he prayed and he said to the Lord, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Back when I was in the good country and not this gross one. What, what, what did you say? He continues, he goes, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Anybody following this? God, this is, this is why. This is why I went to Tarshish because I knew, I knew what you were gonna do. Oh, I knew it. What did you know he was gonna do, Jonah? Oh, 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 I'll tell you, I'll tell you. He says this, I knew that you were gracious and merciful and slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew it. Oh, 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 you made dinner? Oh, thanks, sweetheart. I knew you would do, oh, look at this. I knew you would make my favorite meal. You are so loving. <laughs> gracious, because you knew I was running late. You, I knew you were going to be gracious. My favorite meal. You were abounding in steadfast love, so you never leave me. You're always here every time I come home. You're here making me meals. I knew it. Like, what is it? Like, is anybody like, is, ever, is Jonah okay? <laughs> is anybody thinking the same thing as me? Like, is, are you okay, bud? Can I help you, Jonah? Aren't you a prophet of God? Shouldn't you be jumping up and down? Hopefully he ends the prayer well. Let's see what he does. Therefore, oh Lord, take my life for it is better for me to die than to live. All right. I don't even want to be alive. And the Lord answers. Now, now what do you think the Lord's going to say? Get over here, you selfish brat. Sound right? <laughs> get, get, you, you ought to be ashamed of your, right? Right? Isn't that what you're kind of thinking? Every good parent is thinking exactly that, right? You selfish little stinker. But I think all of us parents can learn something from this because God handles a selfish, hard heart the only way at times it can be handled. For shame is not gonna motivate. Guilt's not gonna do it either. God comes in the way you deal with a hard heart and you ask questions. He comes up to his boy who is throwing a temper tantrum because he relented on a repentant nation. And he says, do you do well to be angry? Anybody angry right now at the state of the world? Anybody angry? Anybody angry at the state of your school or your government, your church, whatever it is? Anybody angry? Can I, can I ask the question that God asks his angry children who are, who are upset with what God's allowing? They're upset with what God is allowing. Can I, here, here it is. How's it going for you? That's what God said. Do you do well? Going good? You and your wife getting closer with all this anger? Kids? just wanting loving on you? Like, how's the anger going? Isn't God so gracious to Jonah? I mean, the guy runs, hides in a boat, goes to Tarshish. God hunts him down, sends a fish along. He repents after three days, mind you. He gets sent to Nineveh. He accomplishes the job, but it's as if God said, I want you to take the trash out. I want you to take the trash out. Fine, I'll take the trash out. Here's the trash. Boom. This is what God's dealing with. Do you do well to do, be angry? Is it, is it, is this the right path? And look what happens. You expecting Jonah to answer, right? Oh, no, no. He kind of hangs up the phone. Jonah goes and leaves the city. 
and sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself. And you're like, a booth? He made a booth? What was he at, TGI Fridays or something? No, no, no. Like he made a dwelling place, like a shelter is what a booth means in the original language. So he made a shelter and, and he goes up on top of the hill and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of this city. I, I can judge from anything I've heard so far, I think he's hoping they turn from their repentance. I think he's hoping God still comes at the end of 40 and he hands it to him because he He's frustrated and he's mad that God is relenting and he's gonna sit on that hill. He took his ball and went home. And I wrote down in my notes for my own personal study because I wanna learn from Jonah, not live Jonah's life, okay? God doesn't like it when his servants or his kids are doing things with bad attitudes. He doesn't like when we're sitting in church during worship with a bad attitude. He doesn't like when we're listening to sermons with a bad attitude. He doesn't like when we're serving in the nursery with a bad attitude. He appreciates the obedience, but he knows the attitude. So I can ask you, is there anywhere in your life where you have a selfish attitude and it's robbing you of your joy? You're mad at what God has allowed. You're mad at the state of your environment. You're mad at the state of something and it's robbing you of everything. And I put down four selves I saw. Four selves I see in Jonah. And it's like their visions that he has chosen. The way he sees the world, it's as if they're Jonah worldviews. And here, here's the first one. Jonah is self-assured. Do you ever go to the eye doctor and they got all sorts of different glasses? Jonah's got on self-assured glasses. You, you try them on and you see which ones are best for you. And uh, here's some good self-assurance lenses. There we go right there. Self-assured. All right, I gotta be careful because there's gonna be memes everywhere probably, but self, keep it in context, okay? Self-assured. He says, is this not what I said? Do you know someone, they, they know it all? I mean, I knew this would happen. I knew, I, I tell you, this is what happens every time. Listen to me, I'm not wrong. The self-assured view of life believes they're always right. Do you have a tendency to think you're right and maybe even the audacity to think God's wrong? Jonah does. There's a second pair of glasses. I see self-importance. This is why I left. If this is the way we're gonna do things, God, I don't wanna do anything about this. I don't wanna be around this. I'm not gonna be a part of what you're doing, God, because this is unacceptable to me. This is looking at life as if you're the only one around, as if you're the most self-important person in the room. Here we go. <laughs> Lights, cameras on me. This is why I left. If you're gonna behave like that, I know what I'm doing better and I'm gonna live like this. Church, am I trying to look ridiculous before the Lord? Yes. Because that's what selfishness looks like. It looks ridiculous. There's more. Jonah's not done. He's tried a few more lenses on. He's self-reliant. He's self None of us struggle with self-reliance, right? This is only Jonah. Oh my word, self-reliance. Got your worker glasses on. When life gets hard, we just work harder. Look what I've accomplished. 
You better not take it away, God. I built this up. I did this and I will keep this going. And I, and I, because self-reliance tends to look at what God's doing and going, if you're not gonna wanna do what I do, I'll do what I wanna do. So he made himself a shelter and I'll hide everybody in it. If you're not gonna protect my family, I'll do it for you. And then the self-centered lens. I don't even wanna be alive. There's almost like a, a prima donna to this type of attitude. If this is the way it's gonna be, I don't even wanna be alive. I think I look pretty good in these. I don't even wanna be alive. If you're gonna act like this, if you don't care about it, if you don't do this, I don't even wanna be alive. See, Jonah is so upset. Let's get these glasses off, okay? Jonah's so upset because he's at, the, he's at the eye doctor and he wants to wear his own glasses and God's not letting him wear any of those. The self-assured, the self-important, the self-reliant, the self-centered. Can I sum them all up with one self? Here it is, here it is. He's being self-righteous. And what does self-righteousness look like? Self-righteousness looks at the world as if they're better than the world. The world's beneath me. And they forget that we're all the same dirt on the cross. And if it weren't for the death and resurrection of our Jesus and our accepting his call of salvation and us giving our lives to our savior, we would be in the same spot. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yet there's a tendency to think, even as a child of God, that God owes us something. And we become because of all the wonderful gifts from God, we start thinking we did it. He blesses your business and you go, look what I did. Nebuchadnezzar did that. Look at my kingdom, wham. How's your kingdom going? Go on. We get a little clapping for us and we start going, I'm self-important. We, we get a little bit good at, at, at a trade or a gift or a, or a crap or whatever it is that God's given us. And we start saying, hey, I can kind of do things on my own. We get a little attention and a little love and we start becoming self-centered. And before you know it, we become self-righteous. And we start looking at the world as ew and gross and get them out, get them away. Oh my goodness. God, seriously, do you hear that? Oh, do you hear that opinion? Oh, uh, uh. And on top of that, they begin to threaten and mock and jeer and we get angry. That's abhorrent and that's wrong and, and it builds inside of us. And, and I think it's sometimes we can kind of resonate with Jonah because my word, God, you're leaving Assyria alive? You know they're gonna wanna come kill the Israelites. They'll get through this little season of repentance and look out. You know what they do to their children. You know what they believe. You know what they teach. You're gonna just let that go? I mean, you're gonna just let your kids feel unsafe and uncomfortable? I mean, God, don't you love us? There's a, there's a sense of Jonah where some people understand like, yeah, do something, God, do something. And God's saying, I am doing something. I wanna use you. But you're too self-assured, self-important, self-reliant, self-centered to share the gospel with even your neighbor, let alone your community. I want to use you, but I got to knock out this self-righteousness and the self-righteousness that built up inside of, no, of Jonah started playing itself out what he thought of God. I knew you were gracious. 
And the self-righteous person looks at grace as dangerous. It's a slippery slope being grace-filled like God. A self-righteous person looks at God's mercy as shameful. Somebody ought to teach them. It is shameful that nobody is teaching them. Somebody ought to teach them that is wrong. Somebody ought to do something that is shameful they're being given mercy. The, the, the self-righteous person looks at God's patience as foolishness. I cannot believe something hasn't been done by that. Somebody else, they, they look at God's patience as foolishness. They look at God's love as weakness. We want to love them like Christ. Oh, whatever, that's so soft. Loving the world is weak? Yes, they need to... Mm, and that Jonah inside us is like that self-righteous judge that's going, this is disgusting. I just want my world to be perfect and everyone, ew, go away. And God's going, what? Why don't you love Nineveh as much as I love you? Who's your Nineveh? Because if we're not careful, that self-righteous judge can build up and there's tactics to self-righteousness. You'll see it all over social media. Social media is like the demigod of troll tactics. Young people know what trolling is. And trolling has tactics. And you'll find it's so much the tactics of the enemy. There's like four things you can almost expect from trolling, if you understand what that is. It's mocking other people's behavior. It's just mockery. Ah, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. It's mocking, mocking, mocking. And then it's shaming others. That is so shameful. It doesn't matter whether it's a biblical worldview or another worldview of the person. Everybody is the judge when there's nobody standing right in front of them. And then you get judgment of others' decisions without even knowing context. Oh, that's, that's a disgrace. I know that, I know, right? And, and what is it inside so many that wanna read all the comments? They find it almost entertaining because there's something that almost enjoys watching people get trolled. They doubt others' intentions. That's not real, that's not this. And, and the same tactics are the same tactics the enemy uses on the child of God. He likes to mock your beliefs, he likes to shame your views, he likes to judge your decision-making, and he likes to doubt and push doubt into you about your God. And what happens is that sometimes it sneaks into the church and the church starts shaming one another and the church starts mocking one another. And instead of being a hospital souls, it's a courtroom of judges. And then nobody has anywhere to go and the devil wins. And we begin to doubt and to judge and to shame and to mock and some of you have been on the receiving end of that. And you know what? That's the most time that it's most tempting. Have you ever been mocked? There's party that rises up that, oh yeah, you're gonna mock me, I'm gonna mock you. You're gonna judge me, I'm gonna judge you. You're gonna say that about my beliefs? I'm gonna say this about yours. 
and we step in and want to play the vengeance role and we get so angry and we need that Holy Spirit to go, what? Do you do well to be angry? Scripture reminds me that God's the judge. And I can see whether something's wrong or not based on the scripture. But I gotta leave the judging up to God. In fact, it's Jesus who taught me the log versus spec principle that I need to constantly remember because my vision gets blurry. I contend just like any of you to look at more other people's specs than to spot something in my own eye. Jesus says, can we talk? What? He says this, judge not that you be not judged. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you. That's so awful. If the same measure you judge in others, do you want it to come back to you? No, I will probably want to show grace then if that's the way it's going to be. He continues. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Jonah, you see what's wrong with Nineveh. Have you noticed what's wrong with you? No, we're talking about Nineveh. All right, we'll continue. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in yours? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you're really good at pointing out what's wrong with other people, may this passage remind you, you're looking at specks. There's a log and it's impairing your vision. So God has his boy on a hillside, angry at him, mad all of Nineveh has repented and he's sitting up there by himself, self-assured, self-important, self-reliant, self-centered, self-righteous by himself. I want to say it again. He's sitting up there by himself. When you choose the life of selfishness, do not be surprised if you grow further from your family, you grow further from your church, you grow further from relationships, and at one point you find yourself all alone on the hillside. And everyone is wrong except for you. Sin will do three things. And selfishness is sin. Sin will take you, cost you, and keep you. Sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. You choose selfishness, you will lose relationships. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. You choose selfishness, you end up choosing loneliness. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. And you'll be on that hillside. Self-assured, self-important, self-reliant, self-centered, self-righteous. And there'll be nobody there for you. Except for God. No way. Oh, yeah. 
he's going to come find his little boy pouting on the hillside. Because grace will pay more than you were able to pay. Grace will keep you longer than you were able to stay. And grace, even if it has to send a fish and come get you, will take you farther than you wanted to go. And even in those most selfish moments, God comes up to that hill. Any parent in here has ever dealt with a little selfish child? I know none of us were, just them. I remember one Christmas, years ago, not last year, years ago, one of our children was upset at the gifts they were getting and was literally pouting during Christmas day, which was driving dad crazy because I knew how much we spent. And I said, all right, up to your room, stop it. Because a gift was open even from a grandma and was upset. Now we got to talk, right? Up there, up. Steps went. Christmas day, I got to give it to him a little bit. Sits on the bed, mad, sad, whatever. I come up and it's cute and depressing all at the same time, right? He sit down, listen, but, 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 there's more gifts. You're not going to open socks every time. <laughs> you know? But you can't behave that way. And you're showing love. This is how the heavenly father treats Jonah. He comes up and the Lord appoints a plant and made it come up over Jonah. He's up on the hill. He's up here. He's got his glasses on, right, guys? He's got his glasses on, whichever glasses you want to pick. And he's sitting up here, okay? And God puts up a plant right by him. And it might be a shade over his head. God is comforting him while he's pouting. Oh my word. Mothers, God knows, right? Even when our kids are pouting and you're comforting, God knows. Puts a plan over him. And Jonah, this is the only time he's happy in the book. Loves the plan. It says exceedingly in the text. It's interesting. He's overjoyed by it. Are you kidding me? Look at this plant. This is great. Jonah's so happy about this plant. Unbelievable. Um, oh, look at this plant. Love it. But then God sends a worm. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. <clears throat> Love that plant. I made a mental note. God knows when I worship the God of comfort. And if my country, my environment, my town, my school, my city, my house, if anything threatened my comfort, whatever I think is a worm, he knows it's going to expose my selfish heart. Who cares more about myself than anyone else? God uses things to expose his kids' selfishness. Is it possible that thing that's annoying you so much was even appointed by God? to just kind of point out to you where you're being selfish. And then he sent a wind. It's called a Soraka wind. It's a massive wind in the deserts at that time. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Church, that's the last words you hear from Jonah in scripture. It's better for me to die than to live. 
They don't even want to be alive. He runs out. He says, I don't want to listen to you. He leaves the relationship. He makes fun of. He mocks it, calls him weak, and he's disappointed with him, goes up and sits on a hill and he's angry what he did. I mean, God, I'm telling you, I'm gonna give you permission. Get rid of this guy. No, the answer's no. God says to him, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do. Well enough to be angry enough to die. Forgive me, those were his last words. Not much better than what I really say. Yes, I do. I do. I have a right to be angry. Angry enough to die. And God said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did not make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You pity the plant. It was a good plant. Made me comfortable. I liked my plant. You pity the plant. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Jonah, you look ridiculous. He's sitting on the hill with his self-righteous glasses on. And he is assured that he could do it better than God. He knows better than God. If you don't want to do it this way, God, I'll do it my own way. Because at the end of the day, if this is going to happen, you know what? I'm going to just do my own thing. I am sick of this. You just letting this world like this and not taking care of me. And I'll just protect everybody then if you're not going to do it. And Jonah looks what? Ridiculous. He looks ridiculous. I got to get these off. God will send a plant and take it away sometimes to expose you that you are worshiping comfort more than him. Sometimes he'll use a worm to annoy you just to see who's beneath you. Sometimes he'll send a wind to beat you down until you realize you need to change. Because God wants his kids not just to help him. Fine, I'll do it. I'll go talk to Jonah, to Nineveh. He wants us to serve. Do you know the difference between a helper and a servant? You come to Renew Bible, our mission statement is to grow people to a mature faith. Okay, an immature faith can help, but only a mature faith can serve. What's the difference? It's vision dynamics. And I'm gonna pose two options and I'm gonna say better one or better two. Are you a helper 
or are you a servant? Dr. Constable, one of the teachers at Dallas Baptist Theological for years, put together this little chart. I love it. It's a great examiner of my selfishness, even when serving possibly God. Yes, even when serving God. A helper helps others when it's convenient. A servant serves others even when it's inconvenient. Have you ever gotten that selfishness test? There's someone who needs served, but it's inconvenient for you. Has God ever sent a plant, sent a worm, sent a wind? It's the second one, better one, better two. A helper helps people he or she likes. <laughs> a servant serves people that he or she even dislikes. Better one, better two. A helper helps with a view to obtain some personal satisfaction. Oh, that's gonna be great. I love helping out. Oh, I love when we help there. Oh, I like to help this. A servant serves even if they receive no personal satisfaction. Better one, better two. Have you ever been tested in these areas? A helper helps with an attitude of assisting another. I'll help you out. A servant serves with an attitude of empowering another. Better one, better two. Do nothing from selfish ambition. But in humility, count others. It's more important than yourselves. Do not only look out for your own interests, but for those of the others. Have the mind of Christ. The one who came not to be served, but what church? To serve. That is a massive step in your spiritual life because selfishness leads to self-importance, to self-reliance, to self-righteousness. And even when you run from God, Child of God, anticipate him coming. Even when you're hiding, anticipate him getting your attention. Even when you feel enclosed and trapped, anticipate him using that time period in your life. Even if you feel you can't go back and change the beginning, it doesn't mean you can't start today and change the ending. Because Jonah served a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. A God who followed him all the way up to the hill and found him pouting with his gigantic glasses on, if you will, and gave him an eye exam. Said, Jonah, you've been nearsighted. It's time to be farsighted. We gave you an overarching verse for this whole series. And I'm gonna leave this series and end this series as abruptly as the book of Jonah ends. 
It just ends. Jonah gives God the last word and ends it. And we'll do the same. We know selfishness is wrong now. We see what selfishness does. And anyone who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him, it is sin.